Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. I am Peter Engler. We are here with our producer, Dave Bodie. Um, we're also here with John Amayo. Um, we have two guests today. Uh, we have Carl Binger and Joyce Wagner. They are local Rochester counselors. And um, the question today is, why are we ignoring mental health? And uh, we are recording this uh, the Sunday after um, some protests in Rochester due to uh, the news and death of Daniel Prude. And, um, you know, John and I, and I'm sure the rest of you and Carl and Joyce, we're all trying to just wrap our head around everything that's happened and all the conversations and, um, you know, before we throw it to uh, Carl and Joyce, John, you know, kind of what's on your mind? Yeah, I mean, Peter, you reached out and, and said, hey, we I think we should have a conversation about this. And, you know, really, this instance with Daniel Prude has become a national headline from right in our city. Mm-hmm. And it's not every day that that happens, that, that, you know, you have national headlines from your own hometown. And I remember seeing it on the news like three nights ago, maybe, and just having this overwhelming sense of, on one hand, confusion. I didn't know what to think in that moment as I was watching the news footage. And then I also just had this overwhelming sense, too, of of grief. I was just really sad. I was just sad because there was this person that was hurting, and I didn't know all the situation beyond it, but... I knew that it ended in this man's death and and um, just this overwhelming sense of sadness came over me. And um, I think it's important for us to acknowledge those things and to, to go, this is a situation that is real. This is something that's happening. And uh, this isn't the only time this has happened. And I, I'm looking forward to having this conversation today about mental health with people who are working in the mental health field and friends of ours who can help us navigate this situation as well. Because this this has to do with race, this has to do with policing, this has to do with mental health. There's so many complex layers to what we're talking about. And sometimes we love to have things in one nice little soundbite, but very rarely does life uh, wrap up in a nice tidy little soundbite. I love what you just said there, because that's kind of been my week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, you know, I serve people at Browncroft that are police officers. Mm-hmm. I serve, um, minorities, you know, uh, black people, African Americans, Hispanics, uh, Asians. And, um, you know, I serve older and younger and it just, um, you can feel the anxiety and weight of just the generalizations and uh you know i mean we're recording this on a sunday i mean i was talking to a police officer this morning who like i could just feel in there like just the weariness and the tiredness and i've had a few conversations with you know friends that are black that are just like why is this happening again and um you know our hope that when we started this podcast you know we wanted to have the tough conversations so I'm just going to pre-warn y'all, like, there might be things said here that you disagree with, and we believe that spiritual maturity, whether you follow Jesus or not, is being able to listen to something and being able to walk with it. And I feel like we've brought 
if I was to pick the number one and number two people in the area, and we won't even rank them. Yeah. <laughs> but we won't say which one is which, Which right? one is yeah. which. I would pick Carl and Joyce to respond to this. So mm. uh, Carl and Joyce, we're, we usually have like seven questions. We don't even have, I mean, this is going to be free flowing, but we're going to start with this question. Let's back up this past week. Um, when you heard the news of Daniel Prude, and when you discovered as mental health counselors that there was a mental health uh, component to this situation, what was going through your mind? I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll answer that question you asked earlier. I think it's Joyce. That's number one. <laughs> <laughs> but um, um, uh, for me, you know, it was just really sad because I said, man, this guy is very vulnerable like when you deal with mental illness you're a very vulnerable mm. uh person mm -hmm. and so that that really broke my heart you know as a counselor i said wow the guy is you know he's naked he's laying on the ground he seems to be complying and how did this end in him dying you know and i've worked with uh, uh men with disabilities you know uh, my son uh, one of my sons have um, uh, autism and I, I thought of him, you know, I said, what would happen if, you know, Marcus is, you know, 25 years old and he has a mental health break and he's confronted by police who may not be trained in handling uh, a situation like this and they end up killing him, mm. you know? Um, and so I thought, on a, on a personal level, on a professional level, uh, this is very sad and I felt very awful uh, for Mr. Prue's uh, mm. parents and family and everything. And it was just, it was just hurtful, it was sad, you know, and it kind of felt uh, very similar in a sense, uh, the, the impact at least to like what happened with George Floyd. But I think with this situation, it hit home a lot more because it was the, the not only that he was black, but it was the mental health component as well. So a double whammy almost. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. I think it was, it was very difficult to see it um, on the tape. The first time that, you know, I saw it, I think it was on the news. And I'm like, what is going on? What mm -hmm. is this? Uh, so confusion um, and just tremendous sadness. I think I, I cried the first time that I saw it. Mm. Um, here's a man and it's, you know, it's, it's snowing. He's naked. I'm trying to empathize. He's on the ground. Gosh, even just the asphalt must hurt, you know. Um, one of the things that I do always, like in a situation, is I'm always saying, is it, I always look like, is it win-win? And mm -hmm. to me, that's the Lord. Is it win-lose? That's kind of human. And is it lose-lose? And I always think, like, that's darkness. Mm. And this situation just seems so dark to me. It just seems so dark on so many levels, and it just got darker. Not only was it at night, of course, but it just seemed so dark to me. You know, I wasn't able to, in the moment, see any type of um, silver lining or anything. It just seemed to get worse. And then, mm -hmm. and so in the mental health piece, I, you know, again, there, we'll get into it, but so many layers of it. The mental, here he is, and he went to Strong, and Strong released him. We can talk about that. And then, um, and then he's got, uh, 
you know, drugs in his system. We can talk about that piece. We can talk about police officers and and EMTs mm-hmm. and the response to all of all of that. It just was very dark and very sad. It's still dark, sad, heavy. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Carl, as as I've thought about this, I, I I thought, my goodness, you're you're a black man who is working in the mental health field. Um. I imagine there's probably people who are talking to you about this from all sides, probably. Absolutely. Um, and maybe some conversations that have taken place that you're like, I don't know if, I, I just wish they hadn't said what they said. <laughs> maybe, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if that's, that's your reality or not, but um, have you had those instances even recently mm-hmm. In, con- in, in context of all the tensions that are going on right now. Absolutely. Um, the more, I would say, um, the last one I had was around uh, the George Floyd situation. Mm. Uh, as recent as today mm. at two o'clock, mm. I had um, a client uh, speak about um, uh, the effect that it's had on their kids. Wow. And them and and thinking that as a parent, they were potentially going to be uh, killed by the police someday. Mm. Um, and so it, it is affecting people um, on all types of levels. And I think it's it's just really important to realize that it, it does impact uh, children of color mm-hmm. where they think this could be my dad. And, you know, as a as a mental health professional, as a Christian, um, I think about as a black man, could this happen? Mm-hmm. Could this happen to me? You mm-hmm. know, could this happen to one of my brothers? Um, I was actually uh, my brother came to visit me about a week ago and this sheriff and we live. I live in Penfield and uh, he was, you know, we were in the driveway talking and this sheriff drove by our street like three or four different times mm-hmm. and i was like hmm i said is there something going on up the street and my brother was like yeah i think there was like a accident or something and i was like okay so I, I like to give police mm-hmm. the benefit of the doubt and so um but i if i'm being honest i was like okay when my brother leaves here mm-hmm. i hope that that officer doesn't pull him over because i didn't know there was a an accident up the street, but the, the cop just kept driving by our street. So, you know, I've, I've been living there for four years and I'm just like, okay, well, there's nothing going on. And so that was in the back of my mind and thankfully nothing happened. But I think that these types of situations uh, can imprint and implant these thoughts in black people's minds and cause like anxiety and, you know, mm-hmm. fear and uh, thankfully, by God's grace, I don't have a lot of that fear, but every once in a while, I'll get it. And I think situations like this can bring it up again. Where mm-hmm. you're like, hmm. I think um, I think it's really important the direction that we're headed with this because, you know, it's funny, you know, when you never know how these conversations are going to go. Um, you know, Joyce, you were kind of bringing up the play by play, and before we started, Carl, you know, you had said like. I, I think one of the things that's just become very apparent is, you know, and I've heard so many people say this, like I think about with George Floyd, mm-hmm. I think about, um, you know, with Breonna Taylor, like 
all of a sudden there's, I don't want to say uh, there's these but statements, mm. you know, but they have a record, but they have mental health, but, and so I, I guess kind of from both of your mental health backgrounds, you're seeing a variety of patients, you know, kind of walking through this conversation nervous and I mean how are you kind of engaging these conversations with clients you know and I'm sure you have people that say blue lives matter I'm sure you have people that say black and it just kind of seems like if you're not in you know it it's it's as if it's a as boundaried and as you know I don't know I'm just curious how you're kind of helping people walk through that well it's interesting I I always tell people it's kind of like the four blind men touching the elephant. You know, one has the tusk, one has the ear, one has the tail, and one has the rough skin. Everybody thinks that they've all got an elephant, right? So, and everyone thinks that they've got the the truth. And we see through a mirror dimly. You, we see through our lens and our uh, culture and everything. So, I think the first thing that I do, I don't know about about Carl, is first of all, you just have to listen to people. You know, and I just think that that's, we could talk about it more, but if there was one thing that we could do better in our culture, uh, it would be listening to people. People, their perspective is their perspective, mm. you know, and we may not agree with it, but, you know, we're so quick to either disagree or I always say we're really good lawyers. We're mm. really awful counselors. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we, we come up with our, with our um, rebuttal, but we're not listening to where they are. Mm-hmm. And if we would listen to where people are, the pain is what we all have in common. Now the pain is different pain because mm. you were talking about your story. Mm. I was talking with someone and their six-year-old daughter was uh, weeping, going to bed. Her dad's a police officer mm-hmm. and, and saying, I wish my dad would become a lifeguard so that he wouldn't get killed. You Absolutely. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so the pain mm-hmm. is the pain and the pain is what we all have in common. Mm-hmm. But first you have to, I would say, and Carl, you can say more, but the first thing that I do is just listen to them yeah. and just see where they are and mm-hmm. just really try to not form my own opinion Mm-hmm. but just try to and try to meet them where they are absolutely i i think it's uh is it is it james be quick to listen mm. slow to speak slow mm. to anger i find myself repeating that with mm. christians all mm-hmm. the time you know and i think as a counselor and as a as a, a very good counselor as yourself joyce you have to listen to people and that's what we fail to do as christians and uh, and people in general, uh, and we're commanded to do so. And so uh, for me, I think um, the way I approach it uh, professionally is, uh, so so in the case of, you know, the uh, child being afraid of his, his father being killed or, you know, hurt by the police officers, you know, I said, uh, you can't let that fear of the police doing something to your father consume you because it's not entirely true, it's partially true, it's partially true, uh, and it's a possibility that your father could be pulled over, and this could happen depending on the state you live in, the city you live in, the system that is in place, but there's also the possibility that it goes well, and your father walks away alive, and you have a positive experience with the police officer, you know, and so 
I try to get people to see it from the other side in which they are viewing it. So it's not mm. just like, this is how I view it. This is how it is. It's like, well, I want to challenge you to see it another way because there is another way. It doesn't happen like this all the time, 100%. So how do we look at that? Because I want to free you from guilt or anxiety or mm -hmm. fear. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. like a, there's a real freedom that's out there, you know, to be had around these situations. And so um, I do try to encourage that and get them to see a different side. And I love to listen. Like I, I'll, I'll talk to anyone who, and I, I honestly, for me personally, I try to stay in the middle. I try to see. Uh, both sides and I try not to really uh, get too far on one side to where I'm completely absolutely dismissing someone like mm. I never want to do that and so I try to be as uh, balanced and open as possible mm. I want to I want us to get more personal but I want to kind of come back to what Joyce said because I, I think this is really important as we have these conversations um, so when we think about Daniel Prude you know, he goes to Rochester General Hospital. He um, leaves in two hours. You know, he then, um, if I'm getting details wrong, tell me, but the his brother is the one that calls for the mm -hmm. cops to come. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I guess it's just important as we have, like, your perspective on, kind of walk us through all those, because I'm sure that both of you have thought, and you guys can just, you don't need us to ask questions. You can just kind of go back and forth. But why don't we start at the Rochester General Hospital? It was strong, right? Strong, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I think it was. So, you know, why don't we kind of start there and then move our way forward and just kind of, when you were hearing these bits and pieces in the mm -hmm. news, what you were thinking as counselors? I mean, I, as far as, you know, my experience with, um, you know, inpatient and things like that, um, my experience has been um, that the system has been largely overwhelmed mm -hmm. uh, with uh, patients. I had a, when I first, literally first started practice about two years ago, I had a, a, a client go in and, uh, you know, he and his parents talked about their experience of being in a waiting room around people who were uh, fighting. Uh, you know, it's like you're already mm -hmm. um, having suicidal thoughts and in serious distress in your sleeping in a waiting room and people are fighting around you and attacking staff and mm. uh you're waiting to get a room and you gotta like pull strings to get a room it's like that is uh you know pretty sad uh considering how vulnerable uh the individuals are in those situations so um i would imagine that's probably what happened is you know he maybe had an evaluation and they were like we don't have room and it was like hey you gotta go um uh, but that's what I would imagine happened, but I'm not for sure. Yeah, I mean, and let's be clear, because I'm sure that you're in the same boat. So I'm old. Um, <laughs> when I started um, being a counselor, it wasn't like this. It was you went to the hospital, you were uh, suicidal. Um, somebody sent you to the hospital, the hospital kept you, um, and you were released. It seemed very, you know, it seemed, you know, like that made a lot of sense. The longer I've done it, I'm sure it's the same for you. And I want to be clear that um, 
So what's so hard is I wouldn't want to be a police officer right now. I wouldn't want to be black right now. And I wouldn't want to be a medical social worker right now. I wouldn't want, you know, so there's the whole thing. Um, I feel tremendous, the burden um, that the medical social workers and the medical uh, psychologists and psychiatrists and doctors feel in these situations, they're, they're completely overrun uh, by people. And I honestly, now I don't know what, what someone would have to do to be admitted. So what happens, uh, at least in my experience, is you send someone to the hospital. I Recently, I've tried to send people to smaller hospitals. I'm like, have a kinder, gentler experience, go to smaller hospitals um, that still have emergency rooms for mental health. Um, but the waiting is, is 12 to 24 hours. Um, you're evaluated, and by and large, and I think social workers would say this and counselors over it, any of the medical systems would say this, it's a revolving door. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I know people that have been, well, and it's not about this, but I know people that have been discharged to, their discharge plan is the park bench in front of the hospital. Mm -hmm. So this just it's just incredibly mm -hmm. sad. If you're looking for care and help, the hospital, at the way that it is today, is not that place. Right. But again, not trying to throw stones. Mm -hmm. It's just, and so then you don't know what to do. Right. And so I, they think that they look too strong for help, mm -hmm. and then they look to the police for help. Mm -hmm. mm. Yep. There were two, there were, and trying, trying to get help. But that's, that's how I view the hospital. Absolutely. There, and there was something, um, I think, as, um, I think after the George Floyd situation where, um, one city or state introduced a legislation that would allow um, a social worker to tag along with a police officer. And I thought that is fantastic. That is amazing. I think um, you could probably clear a lot of uh, student loan debt mm. if you said, hey, if you join a police force, we'll forgive $150,000 of your student loans. Mm. I would probably sign up for that. <laughs> but um you know, uh, I feel like if if that was the case, you know, um, you wouldn't have to train officers more around that, but you could have someone who was trained and qualified to see someone who's having a mental health breakdown and who can go and assist uh, with those types of things. But yeah, largely, um, I think, you know, and I, I wouldn't blame it on the hospitals uh, necessarily, but just to say there needs to be like state legislation and um, a more, um, you know, um, more uh, support around uh, mental health in the systems to help mm. uh, people, a very vulnerable population, because it, it bleeds out into our society when we don't take care of our people, everybody it starts to bleed out into society and you see it has a very detrimental effects on everybody. And so it's, it's a, it's a terribly important uh, issue. Mm -hmm. I, I want to get really real. And again, we're, we're going to come back to the larger question. Did both of you watch the video? Yes. Yeah. Not, I don't think the whole thing uh, for me, because I was just like, ah, I really don't want to go down this road again. You know? Well, Let's kind of, I don't want to go too far, but mm. as a mental health counselor, what did you see in there? And again, we're asking for your perspective yeah. of just kind of knowing what Daniel Prude was kind of going through in that moment. I I mean, for me, from from what I've seen, it's, it's, I saw 
I heard him say, like, you know, he it sounded like he was talking really nice with the officers. He was compliant and he was face down. His hands were, were behind his back. And, um, you know, as you guys saw, he was naked. It was snowing out. And I was just like, this guy is not in a good frame of mind mentally if he's butt naked or naked. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Like he can't be like, regardless of the color of his skin, if someone's naked, man or woman, mm-hmm. like they're not in a good frame of mind. And so you should be treating them a certain way, you know, and I think just the racial component added to it, but it was just like, the guy is on the ground, the guy is naked, the guy is probably cold, he probably needs a blanket, not probably, he needs a blanket, Mm -hmm. he needs to be uh, comforted, he needs to be talked to, like he has dignity, like he's a human, like, I don't, like, I want to say the counselor in me, but it should just be the human, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. a human should treat somebody like a human, and that that shouldn't have even uh, been a question. But as a counselor, it was just like, how much distress is this guy going through right now? You know, hmm. it's just you know one of the things, one of the jokes that they have is if you're a psychologist, you're after a certain amount of time, you're not you you have the inability to get mad at anybody anymore. So you're watching the tape, very very sad. It starts off sad. And it starts off, the police officers are okay, you know, and he's compliant. And then the situation escalates and the situ- and the situation just degrades down. Um, so then, you know, you get to the piece where the police officers are not, in my in my opinion, please don't egg my house, are not, because my brother's a police officer. I love police officers. Um, and I, again, they've got a tremendously difficult job. They're, done, they're asked to do everything from A to Z. Um, Etc. We can get into that, but uh, but they, they start. It, it just goes downhill, and then I'm thinking, well, you know, the the population. Everybody starts to see their view, the view of the world after ten, twenty, thirty years. It gets skewed, mm. and I think we get hardened as people. So then I think they don't view him as a man. They start viewing him, which they start viewing him as a instead of. Daniel is like, no, he's black. No, he's on drugs. No, he's poor. You know, there, there's all the labels mm. instead, and then that that puts that puts distance between um, that, and there's an us and a them that goes with it. Mm-hmm. So, and that's and and I can under the thing is, I understand it. I understand it doesn't make it right, I, right? But I I could understand it, and then it just it just gets worse and worse and worse. You know, mm. it just it just goes downhill, and he's getting and so the mental health pieces. One of the things that you I was talking to a social worker friend of mine. One the last thing you say someone who's escalated and on and on drugs, and at that point I believe that they knew. Um, even with the spit bag on him, I think that they you know they could tell that he was distraught. Not not as if if they if they hadn't had the spit bag on him, they would have been able to tell how much more distraught he was. Mm-hmm. But um, in any case. One of the things you don't say to somebody who is becoming more and more escalated is calm down. Right. Mm. That's the that's the last thing that you say to somebody mm-hmm. is calm. You know, you, and right. so I wish, I just wish there had been somebody that could have de-escalated, mediated mm-hmm. the yeah. conversation 
Um, also, at the same time, realizing I would need specific training to do that. Right. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, just as a police officer isn't trained to deal with all sorts of mental health, what, how, how on earth would they be? I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, you're not trained to take out teeth. Right. I'm not trained to operate yeah. on a cow. You know, yeah. I would need a lot of training to know how to go into those situations. Right. You know, um, but I, I wish there had been somebody there that could have been a mediator and, and an advocate. Mm. An advocate at that point in time, um, because this is another thing that I do as a counselor. You don't listen to what people say. Talk is cheap. Hmm. You don't necessarily watch what people do, although it's more important. Actions speak louder than words. It's really about the motive. Like, why is someone doing what they're doing? Why did the guy steal the loaf of bread in Les Mis? Was he a juvenile hmm. delinquent or were this family starving to death? And so on the surface, you can see a man naked and on drugs but it's like why and how did he get there right you know and the police officers you can see the police officers being disrespectful why how did they get there so man uh, wow joyce i think that's so wise what you were just pointing out there Carl, I appreciate your thoughts on all this too and it's even opening my eyes i imagine a lot of people who are listening right now had no idea the level of how overwhelmed the hospitals are. Let's just say that right mm-hmm. from the beginning, right. right? I bet you most people listening, mm-hmm. they don't, they haven't, if you haven't had to be in that position, you probably haven't. It's had an education. Thought of, you're right. right. Yeah. yeah you, you're just, you, you didn't even know. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so that's a piece to this mm-hmm. that you guys have brought up. That's, that's really beneficial for us. We've talked about the piece of race and I think we could probably delve into that a lot more mm-hmm. we've talked about the idea of of police officers and their training not training in the midst of this mm-hmm. you know all being all being factors of this big picture that sometimes we try to make so simple in our heads that because Absolutely. it's um makes it easier for us yeah. we feel maybe less anxious if we could come up with a solution Absolutely. you know are there other are there other aspects to this, or maybe even if you want to delve into one of those things that we've already covered, mm-hmm. are there are there other aspects that you go? This is another oh. side to the complexity that adds to the complexity of this. I th- I think so. Um, <clears throat> so so there's there's a couple there's at least three things that come to mind. Uh, one is um, for um, you know Mr. Prude being on the ground. And in a defenseless position, and you know, you have three or four officers there. Um, it seems like a lot of times, or at least in these particular situations, that police escalate the situation more than it has to to go. So I think in this case, um, it's like uh, the guy was, you know, in a position where he he was contained. Um, why did he have to die? And that's, mm. I think that's where a lot of frustration lies for some people mm. or a lot of people. Um, another component that I don't think is talked about a lot, and I think you might have hit on this a little bit, Joyce, is uh, the police uh, state of mind and uh, their mental health. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I heard a woman 
I heard a I heard a woman on a Joe Rogan podcast. Uh, hope you know Joe sent me a little money for giving me a shot. <laughs> Joe, 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 almost Joe, as popular Joe as Why will, God uh, Why, by the way. <laughs> Joe, we will we will take your promotion. Right. Please continue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But but uh, it, I think she was a psychiatrist on the Joe Rogan show, and she essentially was talking about uh, her practice in like California somewhere. And she was talking about the stigma amongst police officers mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. getting help for mental health, which I would imagine they mm -hmm. have a lot of mental mm -hmm. health stuff and PTSD mm -hmm. and uh, anger and whatnot, you know, because it's a very stressful job. And so I, I found that interesting because already amongst men in this society, I feel like we have a hard time or an unwillingness to deal with our feelings and emotions. Mm -hmm. Imagine getting a job where you're an authority and uh, you have, according to this woman, said something along the lines of, uh, she's heard officers say, we we were threatened uh, that we'd lose our job if we go and sought help. Wow. You know what I mean? Okay. So, okay, if you're an officer and uh, you've, uh, I think like you were saying, Joyce, you're kind of distancing yourself from this uh, black and dignified human being. You're saying you're poor, you know, you're on drugs, you have mental health issues, and guess what? I'm dealing with my own stuff too. Mm -hmm. So you got all those layers, you know what I'm saying? And so um, I think there's a lot of things, but I think at least right now, one of the main concerns seems to be, well, what's gonna happen with the, you know, with the policing and like, why are these videos coming out late? Why is the punishment less? for these officers that did this. And so, I mean, I think there's a lot of things you can go into, but I think the mental health piece is clearly important, mm -hmm. you know? And um, I think too, um, the one thing I wanna throw out there, and by the way, when, when, when these things come up, because, you know, we're in a very, as you said, um, Peter, uh, we have, I know cops, I know a lot of cops too, and I, I, I have a, a lot of black family and uh, different minorities that I talk to. So I kind of feel like I get uh, stuck in the middle mm. at times. But um, what I find very interesting during these times is uh, the dismissal at times when something like uh, what happened to Mr. Prude, um, the dismissal or the kind of some, some kind of way of, like you said, Peter, there's a but. And mm. I, I got that. I had a really good friend recently, a really good Christian friend say to the point to where we were having this discussion, everyone was appalled about what happened to Mr. Prude. And then my really good friend uh, sometime later in the texting thread said, but but what's up with his brother? Like, why is he just now talking about this? And I got the sense that my friend was trying to blame uh Mr. Prude's brother mm. for his for mm. his death almost. Mm. And it really hurt me. Um, it really hurt me because I said, you know, um, I know this this guy, this friend of mine, great guy, love him to death. And um, but it was just like, if I know I love you, I know what type of guy you are, and this is how you're thinking. Imagine someone who is like a fraction off. Or, you know what I mean? Or 90% off or just completely hates black people. And they're a cop. Like, what do you think their thoughts are like? Like, you're saying this. You're my friend. I know you. I love you. 
and you're saying this, what do you think some other people are saying? And how much are they passing off blame to other people? Mm-hmm. And so to me, that was very revelatory in a sense that I think people really need to look on the inside more often about like what their heart is doing in these mm-hmm. particular situations, you know? I, I want to stick on that for, for both of you because, um, you know, we had Chief Singletary on this podcast. You know, I've I've heard very kind things said about him. And, you know, even uh, before I came here, I was watching the press conference with Mayor Lovely Warren. And, you know, it's hard because if you talk about police officers, you know, it seems like, you know, they're going through the mental health of no one really respects me. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, just as you brought up, it's the butt side of it, um, you know, with, you know, black people. And so I, I guess where I kind of want to take this is I've heard this from multiple police officers that um, protocol was followed. Mm-hmm. And and I, I think, and you can push back, I think what I hear you saying is no matter about protocol being followed you're asking a lot from a police officer to try to handle someone that's in this very difficult position is that kind of what i'm hearing yes so i think it's both like i i I think that i think yeah you're you're definitely asking a police officer a lot i also think that the protocols need to be changed Mm. in a sense that you provide the police with the resources that they need, but you also provide them with the training to respond appropriately to these situations. Like, um, again, if there's a guy laying naked, apprehended, there's no reason why this man should die. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so, and, and, and again, I think it's only really brought home when we think of it as our relative, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? I could easily see it being my brother or mm-hmm. cousin or uncle or or dad or anybody. So it, it feels more close to home to me. And for my friend, I, I think once I started saying, hey, imagine if your sister, your white sister mm-hmm. was naked and on the ground handcuffed and with the spit bag over her head with three or four officers over her, standing over her, and then she died. Like, how would that make you feel? And so, um, I, you know, I think it just has to really like, like, feel at home for a lot of people. But going back to what you said, Peter, yeah, I think, you know, the police do need to be provided with more resources. But I also think there definitely needs to be training on how to respond to people that's different than you because uh, historically, I think police have responded differently to white people than they do to black people, black criminals, white criminals versus black criminals. You could see that. Uh, You could do a YouTube search on the different ways they respond. And so uh, police are capable of responding well to uh, white individuals when they're apprehended. So why not the case with this guy, you know? Well, and I want to hear from Joyce. And I, I just want to, again, because we don't have a police officer here. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to kind of, you know, uh, each of the police officers I talked to, mm-hmm. you know, one of them said to me, they said, they followed the protocol according to the justice system. And all of them said, we would 
we'd be very open to changing that protocol. Mm-hmm. And and so that's what makes this conversation tough. But what you right. just said there, I mean, you can be a Democrat or Republican. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can Google Tim Scott, mm-hmm. who's a Republican uh, senator. He said, I got pulled over 17 times, even with my senator pin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't have to go deeper into a Republican saying that about police. But, right. you know, I think, you know, again, what you're saying is, we're finding out how complicated this issue really is. Right. Yeah. So I want to give you a chance to respond to just kind of some of the stuff that Carl said and just kind of that point. Well, there's just, there's a lot. And I asked, I asked my brother, um, if I could, if, I mean, if I could wave a wand, but there's, again, you've got systemic poverty here. You've mm-hmm. got systemic racism here. Um, you've got uh, the drug and alcohol issue, and then you've got a mental health issue. You've got so many layers here. So I said to my brother, um, I would really like to see the policemen get more training. And I was look. I, you guys can look this up too. our training. And I, I, I did it because I wanted to make sure that I had the facts. Um, so there are no national standards for the procedures. Um, it's, it's by the community. So I think it'd be great if we could have standard procedures. But my hunch is if it were that easy somebody would have done it. So mm. there's a reason why that isn't done. Then um, training in the United States is an average of 34 weeks or eight months. If you go to Finland and Norway, and you guys, I, you might have even seen these floating around on social media, it's um, three years. And they get, what's the role of police in society, ethics, human rights? You shadow training officers, you do investigations, you do a thesis, and then you have personal interviews and a psychological test. So, uh, and it's two years in Germany. So if you look at the data for that over the last 16 years, and this is not a white and black thing, this is just how many people were killed by police. Um, 71 per million in the United States, 3.2 per million in Iceland, 1.5 per million in Finland, and 0.8 million, 0.8 out of every million in Norway. So the more the training goes up, the more the the uh, the um, dramatic cases of in some of the cases, some of them they only they barely ever pull their guns. Some countries you don't even have um, guns, which could get into the gun issue. But I, I ran that by my brother. I said, and he's like, well, because he, there are no easy answers. He's like, well, we also have minority quotas, and as soon as you put education to get a bachelor's degree it's always been floated you should have a bachelor's degree to be a police officer just like being a nurse or or being a mental health counselor you should have a you know should have more of a degree he goes then you can't get minority candidates mm. so but i if i could i would i would wave the wand and i would have them have more education and it would and then i think it would change the culture and then i think you would see a trickle down the other thing about, uh, Carl, what you're saying before is if I could wave a magic wand over, you know, our, our, our country, I wish that um, we would have more one-on-one conversations with people, difficult conversations. I think that America, we're so politically correct and polite, mm-hmm. and that's really not biblical. Right. You know, biblical is being more assertive and being more authentic and things like that. I'll even go this far. I have I have really shoved my foot in my mouth. I remember when I first started hanging out with LGBTQ people, and 
oh my goodness. I mean, it couldn't have been in there any further, but I kept talking anyways. So, but, and then I have seriously put my foot in my mouth around racial issues too. I guess I would rather be close enough mm-hmm. to put my foot in my mouth and then have people forgive me right. and say, that's not who Joyce really is. Mm-hmm. But boy, Joyce, <laughs> you screwed up. You really screwed up there. That's a real relationship mm-hmm. versus the us and them. Yep. And I and I do think that we it's we do that. And John, to your point, I think that we're doing that more now. I was, uh, this is my hairdresser. She's like, people are putting their worst foot forward mm-hmm. right now. I think in a time when there is so little structure, there's so little um, routine, people's, uh, everybody's mental health is frayed. You know, it's like we have split ends all over the place. And so when I see people and they're so angry, um, one thing is, you know, you know, as a counselor is anger, uh, one out of every 10 times, it might be true anger. The other nine out of 10 times, it either covers up fear or sadness. Mm-hmm. So when I look at the anger that is going on right now, I'm like, and all I can think to myself is, are they fearful? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think everybody's fearful. Everybody's so fearful right now. Mm-hmm. And are they, and are they um, sad? Mm-hmm. Fear and sad. Yeah. So, and, and like sad. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, they're so sad. Mm-hmm. And I wish that people would, but... But see, anger, you get to still be rawr and everything, you get to be defended. Right. Versus the other two leave you so vulnerable. And in a time when people are feeling so vulnerable, mm-hmm. I think that that is adding to the the anger that you see. Mm, my so, goodness. Yeah. I, I just think about that. And I, I think it would be it would be appropriate for us because, you know, we have people listening from all over the place to the podcast. Thankfully, thank you guys for listening in on this. Um, You're still listening. And thank you for still listening, for continuing with us. Um, But I think everybody can identify with those feelings right now of Mm -hmm. of fear and sadness. You know, I think that's, they're an epidemic. Like we're in the middle of a pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. But but undergirding it all is is this epidemic that we have of, of fear and sadness. And um, I just, I, I, I look at it and I go, my goodness, my social media feeds are, it's becoming more and more polarized on every side. Right. I can't even look at it some days cause I'm like, I, this just isn't doing me any good, you know? Um, uh, and it's the world that all of us are living in. So for people maybe who are just tuning in here and they're asking themselves this question, you know, why are we ignoring mental health, you know, things? Or are we, uh, maybe I'm ignoring it in my own life, you know. What advice would you give people who are in the midst of this season of fear and sadness in their life? I, I would, I would um, you know, firstly tell people that they need to look to Christ. They, they need to look to him. They need to trust him. He's our only hope. And, um, you know, he's, you know, putting a hope in a political system or a particular person, which I see too often mm-hmm. uh, on both sides, Republican, Democrat, like it's, in my opinion, it's ridiculous. I think it's, it's good to support someone but to put all your eggs in one basket and be mad at someone for supporting someone else is absolutely unchristian, 
unbiblical mm. and, and sinful. Mm. And so I think hoping in Christ removes a lot of that fear and uncertainty around what's happening. And that's what kept has kept me sane is mm. like, my hope is not in this political system. It's in Christ and his kingdom. And so um, that helps, I think, uh, but also uh, turning the TV off, turning social media off, mm. go read a nice book. Go read a fantasy book. Go read a, a, a cookbook. I don't know. Just get um, your mind out of the media. And um, I'm taking my own advice because I didn't watch that entire video because I knew what it, it would have done, done for me. And mm -hmm. so I said, you know what? This is an issue. It needs to change. I'm behind the change. And I want to help as much as possible on all sides, you know, um, but I think unplugging uh, and getting away from the source, because um, as much as we maybe hate to admit it, uh, our, our media is really dividing the country all the time and finding ways to even uh, maybe directly or indirectly dividing the church as well. And so um, I think unplugging from the media and you know, maybe getting away for a little bit and just spending time with your family, you know, mm -hmm. can be a good way to start. I mean, there's a, yeah, there's a lot to, to say. Um, and I, I, I agree, Carl, I've told people, you know, if you have to do the news, um, stay away from your social media, which is very, uh, you know, uh, one, it can be biased and very emotional. And and the news reels that play it and play it and play it and play it. It's like when, after 9-11 and the, let's watch the planes for the 100th and 10th million time hit and everything. Just read a, read a newspaper if you have to. Mm -hmm. But I think unplugging is good. I do. I think that as as Christians, it's a, it's a huge time. Man-made systems are not going to work. No mm -hmm. man-made system is going to work. Um, so your hope really is in the Lord. And so I think that that's first and foremost. And then if you can, but there's even a caveat to this, is look inside. Like if you are real, real mad, ask yourself what that is. But don't go down the rabbit hole of, I've, uh, now I'm so introspective all the time. Don't, mm -hmm. don't do that either. But kind of just watch what you're doing and things like that. Be aware. Don't be on autopilot of what's mm -hmm. going on. I know through COVID, I've had two serious dips you know, and, and I've got a lot of therapist friends and they're pretty, they're pretty honest. When some of us are up, other ones are down. When other ones are up, the other ones are down. And so are you, are you on the upswing? Are you on the downswing? And, and there is a place in both to, to help others. But if you're really kind of crispy, um, pull in a little bit, not, but again, I'm saying that you can go too far and become very self-centered. I'm not saying that, but pull in, do do the basics, you know. And we can, if you want to, we can. Carl and I can talk about the basics <laughs> yeah, of mental health and, sure. and what helps the and, most during during this. But you know, journaling too. I think it's oh. big. I, I've I always always will bring up journaling, and I think just uh, you know being thankful for what you do have, being thankful mm -hmm. what is going well, uh, and then you know using this as a time to reflect on your own uh, thoughts in your heart and and not to be afraid to be challenged because um you know like i said i'm more in the middle in, in situations like these but i think if you're on either side um be open to being challenged be open to having your frame of reference challenged because 
if you've been raised one way or you've been uh, like the illustration you raised earlier, Joyce, about the elephant is you want to get more of a fuller picture regardless of what arena of life you're in. You don't want to be walking around just tunnel vision. So I think in situations like these, we can all learn something. And uh, just like you mentioned, um, John, about the hospital and, you know, people not knowing about the overcrowdedness of it. Um, that's another aspect of the elephant that if we can all get a bigger picture of what's going on, maybe systemically things could get better and then it could affect people more on an individual level, you know? Mm -hmm. I love, I love the, just the direction of this. Um, so let, let's just, if you could wave a magic wand for the church <laughs> and mental health, um, how can the church respond better in these areas? Okay. Um, I think, um, you know, I think, uh, I think churches are at least in this area for the most part have done some things, you know, like, um, I know, you know, uh, Grace Road, uh, I was on staff there at one point. And so, you know, they hired a professional, a mental health counselor. And even now, and even on staff, you know, they paid uh, for uh, outside counseling for the uh, congregants. And I, I believe, you know, Browncroft and Northridge mm -hmm. does that too. Uh, I think to take it a step further, um, I would uh, talk about uh, situations uh, in scripture around mental health. Like I think depression is written all throughout the Bible and throughout the Psalms and Job and Jonah and Jesus ministry. And so uh, trying to really normalize what it means to be sad and melancholy and having a dark night of soul, uh, training for staff around what mental illness look like, training for group leaders uh, once a year, maybe or what, what mental illness looks like. And um, I think really just, uh, just raising awareness around it so much so that it's not really a question of if this is a thing or not. And uh, inviting people who have mental illness to be able to freely talk about it, have a platform of it, and then normalize it. So people aren't like, well, but that's so hard when our culture a lot of times doesn't like to be transparent mm -hmm. and vulnerable, you know, and so mm -hmm. that's another issue. If you exactly. if you were watching this, you would see me doing the quote times <laughs> transparent, right. vulnerable. Exactly, Joyce. What do you, you you know? And what some of you listeners don't know, I mean, Carl's done a lot for churches. So is Joyce. Joyce talks with a lot of pastors. So, I mean, both of these individuals have spent a lot of time on this topic. But Joyce, what do you see? So I said before that I'm old, um, and one of the things that I think has been a real positive over the last 20, 25 years is uh, churches being more receptive to mental health. Um, you know, Grace Road, Browncroft, uh, North Northgate, Northridge, uh, lot, lots of peers, um, my church's Community of the Savior, Roberts, Wesleyan. Um, I think that they, you know, everybody's trying to do a better job. I do think that's the case. I wish, um, when I think about how much marriage is talked about, um, I wish I kind of, if, if I was going to do, I wish that mental health was talked about. Not not like, oh, let's have a sermon series on depression or one on anxiety, but let's talk about like, how did Jesus deal with people when they were anxious or when they were depressed and things like that? And who was depressed? Just kind of the whole person, you know, because I, I think Jesus did a lot of um, 
he he was he was a wonderful counselor, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and so he did a lot around mental health with people. Um, so I, I wish that that would happen. I, I have seen the resources coming back, and I do think that there's less of a stigma. Um, there's still a stigma around um, medicine. I think mm-hmm. that you would say that, Carl. Mm-hmm. Less than it has been. but And again, C- Carl and I are in um, a specific kind of church. There's also tons of churches that aren't aren't on our list and stuff like that. And they're people I don't, you know, you don't know. You know, I have heard people go to their pastor around domestic violence and the pastor's like, it was very, so mm-hmm. it's no different than a police officer. Mm-hmm. How is a pastor supposed to know about mental health any more mm-hmm. than a police officer supposed to know about mental health? There's a great parallel there. I hadn't thought about that. But, you know, like they're not, they're not versed in the nuances of what does domestic violence look like? You know, and and what does um, spiritual abuse look like? Mm-hmm. You know, and also what does codependency look like? There's yeah. a lot of things that go on in the church, and some of them are even they're even rewarded. Mm-hmm. So I guess whatever would happen with, but it's so hard. I mean, how much training does someone need to become what they are? But mm-hmm. just maybe like on the job training, you know. And any pastor will tell you, you know, boy, I already do everything, and mm-hmm. I don't have mm-hmm. any time. Try to meet with pastors. Nobody's busier than pastors, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. for only t- doing something on a Sunday. They're awfully busy. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, so I just, it's, uh, how do you maximize so many things at simultaneously? I don't know how you do it. Mm-hmm. Let's lean into this. L- let's go, let's, you know, take the microscope and focus in. Um, there's people here that don't follow Jesus, mm-hmm. there's people here that are in small groups. Um, you know, that meet and they talk about the sermons and, you know, Grace Road has small groups. I think Community Savior Mm -hmm. has small groups. Mm -hmm. Uh, These topics are going to come up. Mm -hmm. Um, What would you say to people as they kind of broach these topics? You kind of already hinted at it, Mm -hmm. but I think it's important for us to just, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think that Christians really need to, uh, Christians or non-Christians really need to heed the call of listening and empathizing with the pain of our fellow human beings. Mm. Uh, That is a high calling, regardless of what faith you have as a human. Um, I think it's a common courtesy uh, and just a, a, I I can't call it a courtesy. I think it's just something that we should do. If our fellow man is hurting, we should lean in and listen and, and try to see uh, what resources we have that can alleviate what they're dealing with. So if you're in a group setting, instead of um, what I've heard too often happen, uh, shutting the conversation down or changing the subject, uh, we need to lean in mm. and listen on how we can help this person. Uh, maybe we won't have the solutions right away, but we need to brainstorm with them or each other. Like God is, God, he's He's a creator. We're creative you know, we get it from him. We can be creative. We could put our minds together to love someone well and serve them well. It's not rocket science, but a lot of times we make it hard, you know? And so I think lean in, listen to these people, listen to them to the point to where you can at least somewhat understand what they're going through. Because if you're not understanding, maybe you're not listening enough. enough. Mm. And so I mm. think really trying to understand what they're going through and then making a serious effort to help them. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I think that that's, I think that that's the biggest key. You don't really have to have any degree mm-hmm. 
to listen to somebody. Exactly. You have to be able to invest the time, you know, and everybody knows when they've reached their limit. So you, you reach your limit. I've got to ask for help from a counselor. I've got to ask the person really needs a tooth pulled. I got to go ask the dentist for help. I've reached my limit, but I think so many times I'm sitting with here with a uh, four men. Um, we re- we go for the fix and God's much more interested in the process, you know, run the race in such a way as to get a prize, run the race with endurance. Yes. You know, the, the end is important. The fix is important, but um, the listening, you know, and you think about Job and everything, the listening will get yeah. you 80% of the way there. It really will, mm-hmm. you know, and again, just like there's no simple fixes for uh, the situations that are going on in our, in our country and in our city right now, mm-hmm. there aren't easy fixes for Joe and Susie and mm-hmm. Mike and Carol, mm-hmm. you know, but you just need to listen to them. If they had easy answers, they would have, they would already would do the them, yep. you mm-hmm. know. And people will say more than anything else. So if you want to know, this, like, you know, what they teach in counseling school is, oh, I just like, the, we as counselors like it when we throw out these great interventions for them to do. <laughs> but if you ask clients what they like, oh, I just liked it when um, Carl, I started crying and Carl handed me a tissue. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what clients want. That's what, cli- and that's mm-hmm. what humans want. Mm-hmm. Just, and it, there's no degree needed for that. But it does take time. Mm-hmm. And our society doesn't always doesn't have, have time. the time mm-hmm. to invest. Man, so good. So good. I feel like we could talk here probably for five or six more hours. This is so good. But I, I, I do want to kind of wrap it up. And I think it's appropriate to, to end the way we always do. And that's just bringing it back to Jesus again mm-hmm. and just saying, what would Jesus say about this? So um, Joyce and Carl, we'll let you have the final word. And, um, you know, Peter and I will give it our best stab here in the, in the beginning. Peter, mm-hmm. what do you... Why don't you go? That way I can think <laughs> and copy you. No, I don't know. I'm just kidding. Um, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot on my mind. Um, you know, there's a lot I, I haven't said, you know, and again, I, John, you probably feel this way. Like you come into these conversations, you kind of have an idea of how they're going to go and you realize, and at the end of this, I'm feeling like this is the podcast conversation we need to have. Um, my friend, Kimberly Wiedefeld, um, who works at Roberts, she's been posting things online about being peacemakers. And Mm -hmm. I recently finished the book, um, reading while black by Esau Macaulay. And, um, he has a whole section on peacemaking. And I think it gets to what Jesus is talking about with peacemaking, which we think peacemaking is passive, Mm. but the more that you study peacemaking, mm-hmm. even the way the Bible talks about it, it talks about an umpire, mm-hmm. you know? So a peacemaker, they do call balls and strikes. Mm-hmm. And in this situation, you know, I'm thinking about how much of our conversations would change if we knew Joyce just talked to a six-year-old who has a dad that's a police officer and Carl has a son with autism, you know? It, we don't step back in those conversations to really think about because that's where peace kind of comes from is there's actually an element of truth. There's mm-hmm. an element of just even the the grace that all of you, you've given grace to the hospital, you've given grace to the police, you've given grace to Daniel Prude because the, the question is, is 
it's not about the behavior, it's about the why behind it. And you know, for us to pursue peace, there's a level of, we don't know everybody's motives. We do need to call truth where truth needs to be called, but that takes work, that takes understanding. And um, you know, I'm just kind of left with this idea that, that peacemaking is messy. And whenever this podcast airs, th- I mean, hopefully my prayer for all of you that are listening is you'll listen to this podcast. You might be really angry at us. You might be frustrated. You know, you might, there's certain parts you liked, there's certain parts you didn't, but that you would pursue peace. And what that looks like is I'm going to move from my perspective to have empathy and compassion for someone else who I haven't had. So Mm -hmm. Hmm. good, good. Really good, Pedro. (laughs) Um, For myself, uh, as I think about Jesus in this situation, I just am reminded how many times Jesus interacts with desperate people, mm-hmm. like people who are just at the end of their rope. You know, I, one one instance comes to mind, and and I don't know why this is the one that pops in the top of my head, but but there's this father who who is begging Jesus to heal his son because in our in our modern day terms, we probably would have thought his son had a mental condition. He had. He had seizures. Mm. He 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 was always thrown in, in 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 basically out of control. He he just did not have control in his life, and um and and he goes to Jesus and he just begs Jesus, Jesus, will you if you can do anything? He says, will you heal him? And Jesus looks at him and he says, if I can do anything, mm-hmm. anything is possible for those who believe. Mm-hmm. And oh man, how convicting is that for me? Do I really believe that Jesus has the power to heal even the most broken situation, you know? And um, it, my faith is always being stretched with that. And sometimes it's stretched more than others. And I think in these desperate situations, that's where I'm really called to trust Jesus even more. Mm-hmm. Rather than lean back, I'm called to lean into Jesus and his power. And I think that's what Jesus calls us to do. And, and I love Jesus' response to that. It isn't, you know, now I'm just going to leave you because you didn't have enough faith. Mm-hmm. The the dad begs Jesus and he just says, hey, I do believe, help my unbelief. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the spot where a lot of us are at. Um, I, I, I will say I'm in that spot mm-hmm. yeah. many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe Jesus, but help my unbelief. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's okay mm-hmm. in this stage you know, for us to be in that spot. And maybe that's where Jesus wants us, but mm-hmm. let's, you know, trust, I think Carl and, and Joyce, as you've mentioned in the power of Jesus. So anyway, I'd love to hear your guys' perspectives. Absolutely. I think that's great. And um, I think we definitely, you know, have to continue to, uh, it's, it's in our afflictions, it's in these, you know, awful moments that Christ is calling us to trust him more mm-hmm. and, and what better situation than now uh, unrest, uh, anxiety, and um, changes that need to happen. These are um, fertile grounds for trusting Christ, you know, and uh, what comes to mind for me personally is always um, when uh, Jesus went after the lunatic, went out of his Mm -hmm. way for Mm -hmm. this lunatic, this guy who by all standards today was dealing with you know, a mental illness mm-hmm. and uh, demonic possession. Um, and um, 
I just would challenge everyone to to read that account today mm. of how how far Jesus went out of his way, how lovingly and how gently Jesus handled this very vulnerable individual who was cutting himself amongst the tomb, screaming, mm. breaking chains and dirty, smelly. Mm-hmm. And Christ, you know, went to this guy and, and talked with him. Mm. Who he probably hadn't had a person who approached him mm-hmm. and talked to him and loved him. He went to him. He was a marginalized, outcast individual in Christ who had everything, went to him mm. and loved him and healed him and talked with him so much so that the guy wanted to tag along with him. <laughs> he didn't want to be separated from him. Are we loving people enough? that they want to be around us? Are we going and reaching down into the depths of our society and loving people to the point right. to where they're saying, we want to spend time with you because we've experienced the love of Christ. And that's mm. what I would, that's what I would say. Wow. Would do. Well, gee, thanks girl. Um, <laughs> uh, I think that uh, when I watched the video, this is back to Peter's point, um, and so upset about the video, so upset about all so many aspects of it. Um, I try to be in touch with my own feelings and things like that. One of the things that happens when you're a counselor is you you do hear people's worst moments. And some of those worst moments are abuse, specifically probably childhood abuse. And so I've heard some terrible stories of survivors um, and what they were enduring. And it's, it's always interesting because they'll be like, Jesus was there. You know, my body was over here, but I was with Jesus. Or Jesus just said, focus on me and everything. So I think about that very, very dark night. And I really do try to put like, where was Jesus? Jesus was there. Jesus was there for Daniel Prude. Jesus was there for each person and is there right now. When we're at our worst, Jesus really is there. Um, You know, and, and with great only love and compassion kindness gentleness um he's he's there and 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 also and i don't know how he does it i i have no idea but i i always say about that verse uh this in genesis with with joseph and his brothers you meant it for evil but god will turn it around god will will turn it into good so I guess, you know, and I'm not trying to put a silver lining on this. I'm not trying to end on a happy note. I am anticipating to see what God does um, whenever, whenever he's trying to, whatever he's trying to unearth. And why are all these stories coming to light right now? God wants her to be truth. God wants her to be light. God wants her to be hope. And God wants her to be healing. That's the character of who he is. And, and God wants people, God is drawing all people to him. So, and I just, and I don't think God, um, you know, God sees the end from the beginning. So I also know that God knew that that was going to happen. And, and so in it, there is redemption, even if we don't see it today. And that's the faith piece. I don't Mm. understand it, but I believe it. Mm. Before we close, uh, what's the suicide hotline? What's that number? Do we? I think you could dial two one one lifeline two two one one I believe okay two one one lifeline yeah. um, and nine one one and nine one one okay yeah. um, we just want to make sure you know we'll we'll post that the suicide hotline we want to make sure you get the help 
that you need. Um, we thank you so much for listening to this episode. Um, you know, we hope that you feel safe to, you know, have these conversations. We want to see you heal with mental health. So, uh, look us up at whygodwhypodcast.com. You can leave um, a review on iTunes and whatever podcast app. We are at WGW Podcast. And I'd encourage you uh, today uh, to share this podcast with someone who you want or share it um, share it on social media. We want to make sure that these conversations are happening in this moment. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.